May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So how many of you have noticed just how our city's grown? And how about the traffic jams, you know, especially if you have a long commute? And how often do we run into construction zones? I mean, we're running into that even as we take Emmett to his school, where, where he goes uh, right off of Prue Road. It seems like everywhere we have construction roads, or, or everything's under construction, it seems, when it comes to our highways and roads, bridges, and all of that. And especially if you're driving up, up to Austin, uh, you can see that on, on I-35. You're going to have a sign that, that says begin construction, and then a sign that uh, says end road construction, and then they have a reminder that uh, you get uh, twice the fine if you're speeding in, in a construction zone. So we, we have that to look at too. But, but, but one thing that we also notice about construction signage uh, in the cones and all of that is even after it's almost complete or even when it appears that the construction is over with that they these signs tend to remain uh, remain and um, so if one of us were to actually announce that for the time being uh, God's construction in our lives was going to be halted would our friends say I didn't know any construction was going on Okay, so that's essentially what we're going to talk about today, because in the collect for Holy Trinity, or rather for uh, this 19th Sunday after Trinity, uh, we pray together, O God, for as much as without thee we are not able to please thee, mercifully grant that thy Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord, and to that we all said, Amen. So there are a couple of truths that actually come out of that collect. Number one, the, the need for renewal in our lives, but ultimately the source for our renewal, uh, which is ultimately our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's turn to our epistle passage today. If you're following along, that's page 216. And our text for today is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Let's begin with verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. All right, what were we talking about here? Okay, what do we mean by Gentiles? Does that mean those who aren't Jewish? You know, could that include Gentile converts? Well, that's not actually what it means in this passage because the way the apostle uses Gentiles, that's to refer to those who don't know Christ those who are actually pagans. And then when we think about what it means to walk, and I, I know you've heard this before, it doesn't mean actually walking like you might do to taking a brisk walk in the morning, like maybe I should do every morning. Uh, in this sense, in the Greek, it means to the way that we live our lives, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we behave, it's essentially living as a habit of conduct. That's what it means to walk. And that comes from the Greek verb peripateo. And then when we see futility of their minds, what does that mean? Well, put another way, it means to walk with their minds set on futile things. So what does it mean 
when we say futility, well, in the Greek, that means a state of being without use or value. It refers to emptiness, also futility, but also purposelessness, a life that lacks any purpose or being transitory. In fact, it is considered permissive behavior that springs from an aimless attitude toward life that actually cuts at the nerve of our moral fiber. Because I think a lot of times when we view the worst that we see in people, especially those who don't know Christ, then we're kind of wondering, well, how can they think that way? Well, it's real simple. They don't have the light of Christ as we do. Well, let's go on to verse 18 because the apostle talks more about that. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what are we talking about here? It's this reprehensible attitude that's ultimately traced to to its source. These people who live in darkness like that, especially those who do not know Christ, are impeded by a mental fog. Because if you kind of wonder, well, well, how can people think this way? How can people act this way? Where does that come from? Well, they live in a mental fog that actually obscures the light of the gospel. They are cut off from contact with God and the life that he alone can impart. Just like what we read earlier, chapter 2, verse 12 of the same epistle. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So that type of condition arises from a deep-seated ignorance. Although inborn, meaning because everyone who is not in Christ is under the wrath of God. And one thing that we have to remember when we're interacting with other people, we cannot expect those who are not Christians to act like us. Okay, what we need to do is to show the love of Christ to them. We need to proclaim the gospel to them. We need to share our testimonies with them, bring them into the church to form them and grow them. Because even though this is inborn, it's certainly not irreversible. And in the case of those about whom the apostle referred, it might have been removed if they had followed the light that came to them. So instead, they hardened their hearts against the truth and grew altogether resistant to its impact. This is precisely why we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us to enliven us, to turn on the light so that we can understand, to enlighten us to the truth so that we can make sense of the gospel, make sense of what we read in the pages of of Scripture. Because I think we all should know by now that those of us who believe, exercise faith, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because we're any better or any smarter than our neighbor who didn't, but because of grace. Because of grace. Let's move on to verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's what St. Paul was emphasizing. But this isn't how you learned Christ. And then assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is one of those few places where St. Paul refers to the basic Christian teaching, which he assumes, considering the audience he addressed, uh, that, that they were new converts that already received this truth. Because his letters don't always or don't usually repeat this teaching in every single place, except on very rare occasions when a certain point needs reinforcing. And a good example of that would be the factual details of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, which St. Paul delivered to the church the same way he received it as of primary importance. And that's how he led off in explaining these very basic facts of the gospel that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, we have the entire scripture, Old and New Testament. But remember, at that time, letters were circulating, right? So suppose that if all we had was this epistle, it would be the same thing as watching a sequel to a movie when we didn't see that original movie. So we ultimately have to deduce from the letters, all the letters, the whole counsel of God's word, which were written to all people who have already become Christians and received the basic teaching and what the original preaching and teaching consisted of. And here we have a clear indication that ultimately it has to do with Christ himself. It has to do with the very heart of the gospel. In the same way that he died for our sins and rose again, we too died to sin and walk in newness of life. And if that sounds familiar to you, this is exactly what our baptism symbolizes as we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. But what does this newness of life actually look like? Well, we read on in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. A lot of deep truths there. And what we're looking at, essentially, when we take the list as a whole, it doesn't exempt anyone, including me. (laughs) Because if we truly reflect on this text, it should drive us all to our knees in repentance. One way or the other, we all fall short of God's perfect standard in our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. 
And this reminds me of what we read out of question three in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, where the question is asked, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Which scriptures? All scriptures, Old and New Testament, as we read in the 39 articles with Article 7, as it pertains to of the Old Testament, where, where we read, the Old Testament is not contrary to the New, for both in the Old and New Testament, everlasting life is offered to mankind by Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man, being both God and man. Wherefore, they are not to be heard, which feign that the old fathers did look only for transitory promises, although the law given from God by Moses as touching ceremonies and rites do not bind Christian men, nor the civil precepts thereof ought to be of necessity to be received in any commonwealth, yet notwithstanding, no Christian man whatsoever is free from the obedience of the commandments which are called moral. We have the Ten Commandments that we recite once a month, the Decalogue, and you have the entire Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, which some commentators refer to as case law of the same. One thing we know for certain, that when we measure our lives, when we measure every thought, every word, every action, every attitude in light of Scripture, we all know that we fall short. We all do. But as we fall short, let us not remain in a state of hopeless despair. That's the wrong answer. But rather, what do we do? We repent. We repent and turn to the Lord Jesus in faith. Okay, so what does it mean to repent? Well, it literally means in the Greek to change one's mind. Okay, well, is that all that we're doing is changing our mind about the matter? Well, it's essentially aligning what we think with what God's word says, because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than, than, than our ways. But we have to align all of these elements that make up who we are with the word of God. And then we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and we take active steps, what we call of, of, of true repentance. In other words, our lives should actually reflect change. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Okay, we are not going to attain sinless perfection in this lifetime. It's just not going to happen. But we need the grace of the Lord. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to grow in righteousness, to grow in faith, to grow in the knowledge and practice of the Word of God. So one thing that we also know is that as we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, okay, what faith are we talking about? The very fact that he made satisfaction for our sins on our behalf on the cross. We don't excuse sin, but rather we do examine ourselves carefully and prayerfully, especially in areas of besetting sin, areas where we might struggle, which impact our lives and the lives of others, whether it's in our parish, family, or community at large, and has implications on our witness for Christ, as well as carrying out the Great Commission. So that's, that's tough stuff. I mean, I will say, as I was reflecting on this and preparing this, uh, you know, it was convicting to me, you know, because believe me, I don't have it all together. I just 
uh, don't have to worry about what to wear on any given Sunday. It's pretty much laid out for me. That's the only thing that's different. <laughs> but, but I also know that I'm held to a higher standard myself. But what I want us also to really take home today is the next, the, the last verse. And this is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And when you read it in the King James, the acronym for that is BICODA. So what I commend to each of us today, if you haven't already committed this passage to memory, memorize it. It's a pretty easy verse to memorize it, especially if you remember BICODA. And I commend this passage to you as a memory verse, because imagine what would the world around us look like if we all lived this way? What if the whole world doesn't live this way? That would be most excellent. But ultimately, think about our own witness. Imagine how our witness would appear to an angry and bitter culture all around us. And it almost sounds countercultural to, to be that way and to, to live that way. And that's a very good thing to be countercultural, especially as we see the culture around us melt down in so many different ways. So much anger, so much bitterness. It's time for change. Be the change that cuts against the grain of anger and bitterness. And we do this for the sake of the gospel to the glory of God. Because if it appears that our culture has lost its ever-loving minds, Oh, and we can sit here and, and cite one example after another, but we know this. You know, if we even turn on the news or listen to just a little bit of talk radio, I mean, I, I think unless we went off to a wilderness for a couple of years and came back, I mean, it wouldn't look familiar to us even now. What if we did go away maybe five years ago and came back now? Would we even recognize our culture? I, I don't think so. And we're certainly not imagining anything. In many ways, our culture is no different than the pagan cultures of Asia Minor, as more and more people turn their backs on God, including those who grew up in the church. And as I even discussed recently with Bishop Seeley, he observed that our times are not that different from the apostolic age, where the light of the gospel penetrated the darkness of a pagan culture, and it made shockwaves. It did, because the church engaged the culture by proclaiming the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results up to God. And look what God did. He grew the church in great number. And a lot of that had to do with the persecution, because look at anywhere in the earth, especially Nigeria, where our mother church is, uh, they have oppressive persecution going on there but yet revival to the extent that the Church of Nigeria makes up 25% of global Anglicanism. And the church is continually, continually in a state of revival. And let us be that light. Let us be that change by answering that call, that by code away. It begins with us. So if we want to see change, let it begin with us. Amen. And this I say in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive.